Welcome to Passionate People Podcast, created by developers for developers. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tune in to the next one by following us or subscribing to this channel. On this episode, we hear from Tim Benix. Tim is the Director of Web Development at Faultech Paris and a returning speaker at Frontend Love and VOJS Amsterdam. Some of the noteworthy topics that were discussed during this conversation include his interaction and relationship with the Vue community, his project to automate Twitter updates, and the role of automation in its disruption on the future of technology industry. Hello and welcome, I'm Harris from Passion People, here with Chris from Passion People and Tim Benix, who just delivered awesome speech on stage at oh, UJS Amsterdam. It was about leadership and putting team first. Uh, yeah, let me ask you first, right off the bat, how do you like the conference this year? Of course, because you're a returning speaker. Yes, I'm really happy to be here the second time and it's super cool. And uh, I really love this conference and it's it's set up super well and the organizers, they do a great job. So yes, I'm super happy that I had the honor to come back actually. I would love to come back again, but we'll see if that works because it's getting so famous now. Everybody wants to speak here. It's true. I do have to say, and, and I'm speaking from a personal perspective here because I cannot speak for everyone who's involved with the conference, but I think it's great to have you back here on stage. Oh, thanks. That's great. I think it's really, really nice also as uh, having a talk that doesn't focus on like the pure Vue.js aspect, but also the things that are important uh, when it comes to development, which is not directly related to coding. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of conferences that go super technical and then actually the tools that people need to get so technical, I discussed those, right? And those are the tools that people need to be able to get the freedom to do that code. So I think it's important that you have some sort of aspect of this at every conference. Nice. So can you tell us uh, about your uh, interaction with UGS community? So you, of course you come to an event like this, but in the during the rest of the year, what's your relationship with, with UJS and the community? Well, um, since last year, or maybe two years ago, we started a big project with UJS. And it wasn't actually my choice, but they said, this is what we're using, so go for it. And then, of course, you're going to have to use it and go deep and ask questions. And that, that worked well for a year. We did a bunch of pull requests and starting to get a bit more involved. And then 2019 came and I decided, okay, I need to talk about the work we do because it's pretty cool. And a lot of people do this work, but nobody speaks for them. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do conference talks. And the moment you go on stage, you meet those other people that are also in the view community. And then I realized, hey, if I use Twitter, I can actually talk to them. Because I was one of the first Twitter users and I just didn't use it. And suddenly I started to tweet and people tweeted back and cool stuff started to happen. So a community forms like organically. So yeah, that's how it, how it happened. So now you use Twitter mainly for your uh, being in the loop about what's going on exactly. in the stream. Actually, I started using Twitter really for work. When I want to do anything work-related or code-related or open source-related, Twitter is, is by far the best for me anyways. And quite recently, you've started using Twitter in a completely different sense. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? You you touched upon it when you started your talk, ah, yes. and then you moved on to your actual subject. But maybe this is nice to sort of detail it a little bit more. Yes, let's have a look at that. So basically, you can, of course, also automate Twitter. So um, I had this project, or at least I had an idea, and I made it into a project, because I used to be fat as a kid all the time. It made me feel terrible. 
and it took me a long time to realize how do I lose the weight and feel better again, right? So uh, many years ago, I learned that if I have a bit of like public accountability, I actually make sure I keep doing it. And now um, I moved to Paris, I ate all the good food and I started to gain a bit of weight again. So I decided, okay, I need to do a project with public accountability that fits in my scope of work. So I decided to build an application when I step on the scale in the morning, it would do all this automated stuff over the internet and then it would eventually post a tweet. So I would step in the morning on the scale and after 10 seconds, there's a tweet that says, Tim weighs this much. And um, I used all these fancy new technologies with Netlify and like basically everything that was discussed today, I've actually used those tools to learn the tools, to do my own project, to, to yeah, to, to hook all those things together. And today was actually my goal. I didn't make it, not even by far, but it was, you, you it was nice to try. Though. I mean, I that's, got that's, halfway though. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive nonetheless. The thing is, I try to keep it healthy because I could have made, like I had to lose like 12 kilos in three months. I could probably do it, but then how healthy is that? I was just stupid goal. Either way, it's a pretty cool use of technology to try yeah, to achieve goals. It taught me so much that I made a talk about Jamstack and Serverless that I didn't decide to do today because the guys asked me to talk about Team First. But that made me understand it. And actually, I made a talk about it. So I'll do that in another conference now. So you buy those projects, you teach yourself, and you open career possibilities. Because now I get to speak to Divya, who works at Netlify, and I can give her feedback on her product. Well, there's not much feedback. It's great. But this is cool because you've now used it, right? So you should really do this kind of stuff next to work if you have the time, I'd say. That's a great advice. Well, for me, it's like it comes. I cannot stop it. So not everybody has that, obviously. But So you mentioned automation. And uh, uh, there's a question I, uh, I wanted to already ask you, given your uh, leadership position and role in your company and also the helicopter, helicopter view yeah. you have. Um, how do you see automation disrupting uh, developer jobs in the next five to 10 years? Well, I think it's going to disrupt a lot. If that's great or not, I don't know. I think for now we should focus on automating processes, like um, being able to deploy something very quickly, for example, or to automate your testing. Like we have so much room to win before we start automating what we code. I think um, in the coming years, you'll see a lot of tools where you do, let's say what Netlify already does. I commit to Git and suddenly a deploy happened. Well, this, is, this kind of stuff is going to come to enterprise because I work a lot in enterprise with those big systems and it's much harder to get it there, but there's a lot brewing. So all those big systems from enterprise are starting to do the Netlify style of work and people are starting to do cloud and Docker containers and automating the orchestration. So I'd say in the coming years, that we'll see first. And then start, but that starts with smaller companies like Nuxt, right? And Netlify, and it all comes down to that and then it goes up. And you also see tools like Webflow where you can basically just drag and drop boxes and you have a website. These tools are great, but they're not there yet. Like if you do it on the level where you have one website that goes to 60 markets with millions of visitors, you have to know exactly what you're doing to make that work. So automating that is not there yet, I would say. But it's our jobs are going to become useless at one point. Useless. Useless even. Yes. In 10 years, you have algorithms to build the best stuff. 
You have start. You have. You get algorithms that algorithms. will be able to code stuff for us, hmm. right? I'm not sure, actually, to be honest, because it's such a a humane job as well. It development is. because it, it requires is. a certain amount of creativity and a certain amount of problem solving skills that I don't see algorithmically solved or solved by uh, statistical AI in the next ten years at least. Well, ten years might be. A ten bit years, soon. yeah. I think I think we're gonna reach that point eventually. But I'm not sure how it's going to look like because in the end, there's also people who need to write these algorithms and maintain them and improve. Sure, there's always there's always going to be work for us. Let's be honest. I, yeah, this I, is I, true. I think we don't have to worry about that too much. Well, I think like the 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 way the work is going to look like will change over the over the coming years. Like it, it's changed dramatically over the past couple of years. You know, mm -hmm. moving away from like the jQuery style front ends and the and the backbone style front ends, and now we have Vue and React and Angular and uh, now web components are becoming standard, yeah. which is a thing, of course, and the whole uh, serverless workflow that we're now moving towards from uh, like a backend perspective. So there's so much in flux that I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where this is going to go. Yes, but but I also realized though there's different segments of this market, right? So the smaller websites, they will be much more automated, and I think also there's all these companies that do this amazing black magic that you don't know how that got so quickly deployed. So that kind of automation will happen, though. Like, if you go to bigger projects or more specific ones, clearly we'll have a job. But everything riding up to it, like all the WordPresses that keep small, they might be automated. Yeah, I think that's actually so a it's, sensible... It's, I nuance yeah. myself a little bit. Yeah, though. it's okay. It's yeah, okay. Right. I mean, you, you see this now already with, as you say, like with Netlify, Netlify CMS, and yeah. things like Gatsby on the React side, and the... The, the whole movement towards headless CMS is where you update your content and it triggers like this cloud, uh, right. cloud native flow where it pushes your content, as you say. What I find interesting though, is that you said like on the enterprise level, you see this movement happening, but it's a lot more slowly. Why do you think that is, that it is so so slow? Well, um, if you look for example, like a, like a company like Sitecore. Sitecore is a .NET CMS. It's one of the biggest out there and they're amazing for content editing workflows. They're great. So for the last 10 years, what they have sold is a monolith. So you edit your content and you personalize your content for users and you do that in a nice graphical interface. And when you hit save, it's there. And you have that all in the same nice system. But then this headless trend is coming and they're like, okay, but if we remain where we are now, in a couple of years, everybody does this hat listing and we are not, yeah, they don't want to buy our product anymore. The thing is also, they're feeling this heat a little bit. So they're starting to put that in and they're doing it really well, but they have this one caveat. For 10 years, they sold that one experience that works extremely well. And then when you start marketing, yes, but we are also hatless, do this now. You invalidate those last 10 years of people that paid you millions to use this globally. So they need to find an in-between way to keep that old experience of amazing content editing, plus then this headless thing that we as developers are happy with. So it's going to take longer for them to make that mature because they basically initially, they add this headless part into the monolith. So at least that works so you can do the content editing in your application. And then once you serve it to the user, then it becomes truly headless and you take it out. But they actually had to complexify their tools, their tool chain to okay. do that. And that takes time and effort and it needs to mature and it takes some years because then you have a company like where I work, we do this huge scale um, for 
one instance that would have five websites and each website is different and has a product catalog and it has different search ways, ways to search and redirects and user influx of data. There's so much going on. If we just throw all that complexity against the tool that was just coming out, that's just challenging. So I'm not saying it's bad, it's actually great, but it takes some time. And all of them are relatively in the same space now. So yeah, that's why it takes a bit longer. Okay. Well, I got uh, another question I want to ask you about leadership styles. Uh, I see that you're a very um, kind and uh, friendly personality. Oh, thank you. Uh, so I would assume you're also um, leading your team with certain kindness and empathy. Uh, sure. Can you uh, like yeah explain what have you learned in your leadership career and what styles work and which styles don't and just tell us more about that aspect of your well, career. Well, um, how I started is quite strange, but based on that, I learned a lot from that and I used that day to day. So I grew up being a musician. So I played music all the time. And then I realized, okay, I'm just paying money to tour rather than getting money. It's, it's a hard job. And then, so I wanted this backup and I became a nurse. So I went to school to be a nurse and I worked in psychiatry. And then at school, what we learned is to have a discussion with someone and imagine someone is very sick and you have to give them bad news. The way you deliver that is very specific. And you have to, we had to videotape ourselves every day doing this kind of talks with people and just understand what you say matters a lot, especially if you are in the white coat as a doctor and someone else is not, there's this, there's this difference. So that's the one part that makes it complex and you learn a lot from that. So you will see yourself speaking to someone if you sit like this or that, that has impact. And then next to that, um, this is, it sounds a bit black and white, but um, there's a difference between nurses and doctors in how they operate in their lives, let's say. So nurses, this is just black and white, right? So it's, it's never like that, but nurses tend to be people who are really focused on the content. So they read a whole book and argue from there. I'm definitely a person like that. But then a doctor on the other side is amazing at reading a room and a be able to speak um, not knowing everything because the doctor can just not know everything. There's so much to learn. And both of those can get like an A or a 10 on a test because you just understand your context and understand what to do. But if you're a nurse and you go to a doctor and you say, I need this, this and this for that patient, they won't listen because they're too busy and it just... You go with so much content at them. So what we learned is how to manipulate them slightly to go on their level, talk about their day or whatever they liked. And five seconds in, and then you ask the question, they'll listen to you. And I always thought, why do I need to learn all this? There's so much conversational stuff and manipulation going on. And now when I'm in front of the, like the CEO of whatever big company we work for, it's exactly the same thing. You need to adjust the levels. Your you adjust the levels, you read the room, and you just are able to understand how they think or try anyways. Because most of people at that level, they are so smart, they already understand everything. And they have 50 meetings a day. So you have to do it in 30 seconds, get it across, but also do it in such a way that they understand you. And of course, this is with clients. But when you understand this concept, when you do it with your team, it also works, but I don't do the manipulation bit, obviously, but just see the people. Like I was a developer once, or I still am, but everybody comes up. So just trust people. 
they're, they're, to me, everybody is good at, at the core and on whatever comes around in their lives could change you. But I always trust them. And I, I actually don't always, like we do job interviews, right? And the first job interview, I never ask about code. I don't even care. I want to know, can you speak? Can you communicate clearly? Um, can you write something? Are you kind? Do you fit the team? And once that works, then we go to the next step. So you create this balance of people that fit your team. So if you have a team of, let's, how do you say it, like nice guys or nice girls, and you add a prima donna into it, like a badass coder who thinks I'm the best, it's never going to work. But sometimes you just need three prima donnas to do amazing stuff. Make, build a Facebook, let them go away and come back. Or you have a team of a bit more nice people that are, well, nice is not the right word. Everybody can be nice, but they are less outspoken or less uh, personal driven. So you need to find the balance in the teams. And at work, we sometimes even do like exercises, like what color are you? Are you caring or are you quickly annoyed? Or, and then you teach yourself about yourself or about others. And then we, we put people together and that tends to work really well. Has there ever so, been a, a situation where uh, being empathic as you are uh, was a detriment rather than a benefit in your work situation? Well, the thing is, this is what you get with how I sometimes work, is I want to have meaning in my work and I want the people who give me the job to be happy. You have that in your personal life, but also in work. So you have all these different personality types and I'm kind of like, the word pleaser doesn't sound great, but in that context, this is kind of where I could fit. And so sometimes I just work so much because I want to make everybody happy. And so you need to learn when to say no. And especially when you get a bit more known in the community, for example, or you work in a bigger company and they know you will, like when they put me on it, it will just work. But that's also can be a detriment for sure. Because I've, I've been known to work a lot and that's not always good. Yeah, find your balance in life is important. Some wise words right there. Yeah, but I have to be like 35 to only start understanding this, right? It takes me, it took me a long time. <laughs> And I'm not there yet, but I think being reflective of what you do is super important. Like, and I always ask feedback and it's not always easy because I live in France and people are not super direct, but then when they do, it's really insightful because people are like high thinkers in France and it's great. And just, I always reflect, do I still like my job? Am I still giving value? Do I still have autonomy and constantly, and it can also be very annoying for my boss because they might be like, oh, but is he leaving? Or what is he looking for? So I've learned the hard way that I shouldn't do that too much because then it looks like I'm never really there, even though I am, because I'm really loyal, right? So there's always pitfalls, sure. Okay. You learn maybe, from your mistakes. Maybe you want to tell uh, about your mistakes you made that made you learn and grow the most. Well, what I have actually, the, the best thing is moving to France for me because I'm not good at language. Like English, I'm kind of all right because I've had to speak it my whole life. But then speaking French, I'm like a child again. And the thing is, it made me speak slower and listen more because I have a fast brain. And that doesn't mean that it's good. It's just fast. So I sometimes speak over people or I make very quick assumptions. And I'm lucky that I have a lot of experience. So I tend to have quick um, assumptions that tend to be all right because I've done it before. But that can really um, give you issues, right? Especially if you're in front of a client, you assume something and it's really not true. 
that's not a good thing to be in that position. So moving to France, making me speak less and think more, that really helped me a lot. All right. I think there's another talk in there. Who think, knows? <laughs> speak, we should less, do, uh, speak less and think more. I think that's a well, beautiful not, way to but put it. It can be, depending on your culture. Of course. And I think also like for a context. Dutch person like me who speaks fast, speaks a lot, thinks quickly, it's really a good thing to do. But you have also people who procrastinate and think deeply a lot, but then do nothing. Right, so you have to always There's find the balance. There is always the balance there, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's really uh, awesome to talk with you. I think we could go, go on and on. Uh, yeah, probably. That's why uh, I did the talk uh, about it. So. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, there's, a, there's a question we ask uh, everyone at the end, uh, a fun question. So uh, maybe Chris, you want to ask? Ah, yes, 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 yes. So what we are most interested in is when you are coding intensively, what do you like to drink? What I like to drink? Yes. Whoa. Whoa, that that changes over time. Right now it's just water. I drink a lot of water, but that's just because I like it. But never alcohol. Never alcohol. No, only so, after or before. All right. So or there's after. no so there's no Steve Ballmer peak to be had with you. Who knows? But no. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like this is really great working where I work. We work with so many different cultures. And um, lately, especially the people in Brazil, we work with them a lot. And the cool thing is they're super happy that we help them, but they actually they help us way more, but they don't realize it. But they give, keep giving us presents and it's always alcohol or like peanuts or like candies. So now that if it's there, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I think nothing's on this table here. No, 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 but I'm, I, I was fat for a reason. <laughs> so when they, when they do give you this alcohol? It is consumed. It is consumed. But not while coding, okay. generally. All right, all right. I always give it like, this is one fun thing. Like um, we work for Rolex, the, the awesome watch company. And um, one day a package arrived on my desk and it was really big. I'm like, that's interesting. Open it up, super nice Rolex box. I'm like, oh, they didn't give me a watch, right? No, of course not. They gave me chocolates, but like the most amazing chocolates you've ever seen properly aligned with the Rolex logo on it in a golden piece of paper in a big box. And so now that I'm older, I didn't eat them myself. I gave them to all my colleagues because I'm a manager. So I got them because I did a lot for this client, but actually the team did it. So now that I'm trying to lose some weight, I just, yeah, you, you don't need to eat it all. No. Right. Just have a sample. And then oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, it was good. <laughs> no, but it's amazing how you, how you can ship chocolates from Geneva in a big box so they don't move. There's like padding like that, right? It's amazing. That's padding pre premium chocolates. Wow. Yes. Oh, that was that some premium very stuff. very premium. Yeah. Okay. So but everything they do is the most amazing it can be. So if you do chocolates, why not? It's their, it's their brand, of course. Exactly. Their yeah, brand is, has is pixel perfect. Ultimate quality. Yeah, yes. Pixel perfect. And, and so I'm really excellence. honored to work with these guys to to learn what it means to have the, the perfect shot or the perfect 3D render or the perfect video on a website and still make it fast. Because that's challenging. Because when I say you have to optimize them, no, 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 we are having the, the most pixels possible so it looks perfect. So you need to find your way around it. And then, but this is a great challenge. I can imagine. Yeah, and that website is amazing. It's the most smooth animations you've ever seen. I think we need to, uh have a second podcast with Tim explaining about how he optimized for a client like Rolex that demands nothing but the best. 
There you go. Oh, yeah, I think that's, go. A, that's a good plan. I was really happy that I did that many years for Chanel. They're similar. They're not the same brands, clearly. They're in a different space. But it's amazing to have the discussions with their, uh, the people that make the bags or take the pictures. The, the story behind that brand is so amazing. There's so much there. And you feel proud as a developer that you can actually show that on a page. And you start of start to like the story of the lady herself and how she emancipated. And so giving a story behind you what you built, that is super cool. So I'm lucky that I had that. Nice. Yeah, I think yeah, we could talk uh, yes. on and on with yeah, you. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to wrap up. Sure. That's been amazing. Thank you for Thank your you time very much. Here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for the listeners to tune in. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.